Amen. Open your Bibles to John, the Gospel of John. We are very, very early in our study, and here is what we are seeing. It is all about Jesus. It is all about Jesus. It blows me away as we've gone through this study, just the set of verses that we've looked at thus far. It is all about Jesus. In our verses, we have seen he is the message. He is the good news. He is God. He is co-equal with the Father. He is eternal. He's not created. In fact, he is the creator of all things. He is life. He is the light of men. He is the victor. And on and on and on it goes. We are seeing in our study, it is all about Jesus. It is all about Jesus. And so, we should be all about Jesus. Doesn't that just seem right? Doesn't that just seem normal? You know what? If it's all about Jesus, we as his followers, we that have been redeemed in the blood of his cross, we should be all about Jesus. And that is what I'm seeing. That's what I'm I'm seeing here very quickly. We should be all about Jesus. I wonder if that's why some of us are having such a hard time. I wonder if that's why we get so discouraged and so distracted with all the things going on in life. We should be all about Jesus. Let me ask you, how could we not be? In him we are blessed. In him we're saved. In him we're redeemed. We're reconciled. In him is our life. In him is our future. We should be all about Jesus. I think back in the book of Acts, we were just studying there. They were so all consumed with Jesus, they talked all about him, they lived like him, they looked like him, that the lost world started to call them little Christ. Christians, that's what that means. They called them little Christ. We should be all about Jesus. You know why? Because Jesus is everything. Jesus is everything. We should be all about Jesus. Let me tell you, and I'll, just, I'll be honest, I don't know how this study is going to turn out. I don't know. I don't know anyone that's preached for 100 straight days. But hasn't it already been awesome for four days to be immersed in the good news of Jesus Christ? Hasn't it been tremendous? Well, tonight we're going to see our message is entitled, The Light of Grace. The Light of of grace. We're in John chapter 1 today verses 9 through 13. The light of grace. John chapter 1 verses 9 through 13. I'm going to ask if you would if you would stand with me in the reverence and the honor of the reading of God's word. John chapter 1 beginning in the ninth verse. God's word says this. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him. And the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, 
but of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we come, we're thankful for the truth that we have good news tonight. We're thankful that we have hope that endures, that we have peace that's not rattled or shaken, not snatched away from us. I'm thankful that all of that is settled in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray as we begin to preach tonight, as we begin to to put out this message, I pray for us in the room that we would be encouraged, that we would be uplifted, that the truth would go out. If there's one here that doesn't know you, that they would find Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior tonight. I pray for those tonight that are listening by other means. And I can't imagine in all the places this is being heard, I pray, Lord, that you would encourage them in your word, that you would teach them in your word, that you would lead them. And if there's one and perhaps many that do not know you, that in the preaching of the good news of a risen, resurrected Savior, that today, this very day, will be the day of their salvation. Lord, we give you this time. We praise you in it. We exalt you in it and for it. We lift up your name. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right, tonight, let's go right into our study. Remember in our study, the Apostle John is telling us the good news. He is telling us the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's really what his whole book is about. His gospel is about. He wants us to be sure. He wants us to be certain in the good news of Jesus Christ. He wants us to be confident. This is the truth of Jesus. Now remember, as we go through this and the verses we've looked at, we are seeing that the truth matters. And we're going to see that again tonight. In fact, we're going to see it several more times. The truth, it absolutely matters because the truth is Jesus. That's why there's an attack at all times on the truth. That's why Satan rails against the truth, because the truth is Jesus. And so in this gospel, as he's teaching us the truth of Jesus, we're seeing the truth absolutely matters. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the good news. Now, so far we have seen, we have heard an in-depth, profound description of Jesus Christ. And I go through those verses. I I said it last night. I'd like to preach those verses again. I'd like to go back. I bet I could preach a better sermon on those same verses tonight than I did last night. What a profound picture of the truth of who our Savior is. Well, we see there the gospel is Jesus. And so John starts with Jesus. Now, that just makes sense. We go there and we read those first verses. The gospel is Jesus. And so he starts giving us this profound description of the truth of Jesus. Then last night, on the third night, we were introduced to John the Testifier. He's formerly known as John the Baptist, but we're going to call him John the Testifier. And John, we see, is the forerunner who comes to prepare the way for Jesus the Messiah. He comes to make straight the way, to prepare the way for Jesus the Messiah. Now, last night, it was very clear he is a good man, and he's called by God, and he's faithful to the call of God. He's going to sacrifice with his life for that call. But we saw last night, he was not the light. He came to testify to the light. Now, I want to say this. 
And, and we, need to, we need to pick up the urgency in this. We need to say this uh, more frequently. And I want to say this tonight. All of us, each of us, can be testifiers to the light. Well, well, John was called. Guess what? So are we, the Great Commission. Well, well John was sent. Guess what? So are we in Acts 1.8. Well, he was empowered. Guess what? So are we with the Holy Spirit of God. All of us can be testifiers to the light. Let me just tell you, all of us should be testifiers to the light. What a, what a sorry, mean thing to possess the good news of a risen Savior, the hope of a lost world, and not tell anybody. Each of us, we should be testifiers to the light. Our world needs testifiers to the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me just tell you tonight, whatever age you are, well, I'm too young. No, you're not. Well, I'm too old. I'm retired. I don't have much of an audience. No, you're not. Listen, whatever age, whatever status, whatever position you have, we can be and should be and are needed to be testifiers to the light of Jesus Christ. Well, tonight we're going to keep moving along in our verses. Let's go to verse 9. Let's read that verse. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. Now, I love all of these verses. They are so deep. Each word has great meaning. Well, verse 9 is no different. Here in this verse, each word is loaded with meaning. Let's look at it. The Bible says, there was the true light. There was the true light. Now, the Greek word in the original language for true means real, genuine, complete. That's important. The Greek word for true means real, genuine, complete. And so we see here John is right back at it, pointing to and describing, defining the true light. Now, that's what he's been doing in all the preceding verses. He took three verses off to tell us of John the testifier. Well, he's right back at it, defining and describing, pointing to the true light. Now, think about it. The fact that he has to do this shows us the threat of the false light. Do you see that? The fact that he has to go and do this, the fact that he's adamant in doing it, shows us the threat of the false light. Again, listen to me tonight. As believers, as the church, we must guard and we must defend and we must proclaim the truth of Jesus. That is our mission. We're to guard and uphold and defend the truth of Jesus. That means we as believers have to know the truth of Jesus. That's one of the great things of this study. We're going to know more and more and more the truth of Jesus that we can uphold that truth. Now again, true means the real, the genuine, and the complete. Now I want you to notice something there in that last part. Complete. The complete. I want you to see this. The world has become proficient at presenting to us part of the story of Jesus Christ. 
You ever notice that? That's what a false religion is. They don't usually go so crazy that it's totally unbelievable. Some of them are pretty crazy, but they take a shadow of Jesus and they add some mistruth to it. They take a portion of Jesus and they add some mistruth to it. They take these things that our ears perk up and we recognize about Jesus and they add some to it. Well, listen, we have to have the complete truth of Jesus. We must know and defend and proclaim all of Jesus. All right, the verse goes on. And there was the true light, which coming into the world. Now, this is talking about the incarnation of Jesus. This is talking about the word, Jesus, who becomes flesh. This is Jesus born as a man. Again, the the incarnate Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. There was the real, genuine, complete light. That's what that means. There was the true light, which coming in the flesh, coming as Jesus, the Bible says, enlightens every man. That's what the verse says. Enlightens every man. I love this. It says, enlightens the true light coming into the world, coming in flesh, Jesus incarnate, enlightens every man. Now, I want you to understand this. It is not saying that Jesus comes into the world and so all people are saved. There's some that say that. It's not saying Jesus coming into the world results in a universal salvation. There are some that teach that. No, it is saying in Jesus' coming in the flesh, All people can see the light. All people can see the fullness of the glory of God in the revelation of Jesus come in the flesh. Do you see the singular focus again? Man, John is on a track and he has a singular focus and he doesn't deviate from it. Here's here's what we see here. God is revealed and known in Jesus. God's salvation and Savior are presented in Jesus. We have the light alone in Jesus. Now get this this evening. It is what John is passionate about. That is why he is writing. For people to be saved, for people to find peace, for people to be reconciled with God, all they need is revealed and found in the person of Jesus Christ. Now listen to me. So what do we need? Jesus. What needs to be proclaimed? Jesus. Not something else, not anything else. Not Jesus plus church tradition. Not Jesus plus the church fathers. Not Jesus plus some creed. Not Jesus plus the Baptist faith and message. In a dark world, we hold up the light. Listen to me. And his name is Jesus. What a gospel. What a gospel. How awesome is that? Folks need hope. They need life. They need to be saved. Listen, there's not two things. There's one. Hold up Jesus. Praise the Lord. Let me read verse 9 again. I'm excited about it. There was the true light, complete, which coming into the world enlightens every man. All right, verse 10. It gets better. He was in the world, 
And the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. The word incarnate, Jesus, he was in the world. Now, the verb here was, means, that he was not created in the world. False religions teach that. It, it, it means he was not created with the world. With the creation of the world, Jesus is included in that. It means that he comes to the world. He is Christ God incarnate. He comes to the world. And so the verse says, he was found in the world. He was in the world. Now the Greek word, I like this, for world is cosmos, cosmos. It refers to the earth, the world. But it's not the planet it is to the humanity of the world. That's what it's talking about. It's the same word that's going to be used in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. Not the planet, not the sphere that we're on, but the people of the world. Some of y'all are old enough. In the 80s, there was a song that said, we are the world. Remember that? We are the world. Here's what Jesus is saying. He was in the world, Christ incarnate. He was amongst us in the world. He was with us in the world. And then it says this, and the world was made through him. Again tonight, it goes back to creation. He is the creator. He was amongst us. He was in the world, and the world was created, made through him. Now listen to that. What that means is the creator is with us. The creator is in the midst of, of his creation. Sometimes I, we, lose sight of how big that is. Do you know that's a big thing? Emmanuel, God, all-knowing, powerful, mighty, infinite in wisdom, creator of all things, Emmanuel, God, in the person of Jesus, is with us. You understand how big that is, how huge that is? Philippians chapter 2 says that, that Jesus humbles himself. Imagine that. Think about that for a second tonight. God himself, Jesus, the Prince of glory, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. The Bible says Jesus humbles himself. I want you to know he was already those things. He was already majestic. He was already holy. He was already glorified. He didn't need to come to become those things. He was already those things. That's who he was. And that God humbles himself in the person of Jesus and comes to the world that he created to be in our midst. Man, that's huge. That is big. Now, this is tough. And the world did not know him. To know, it's more than facts. Now, it starts with facts, but it is a deeper knowledge. 
It is a relational knowledge. It's not to just say, I know the, the fact sheet on you. It's to actually, in relationship, have a, a deeper knowledge, a knowledge that results in trust and a, a knowledge that, that grows our love. It says he came into the world that he created and they did not know him. Here's what it means. They rejected him. You ask me, well, how do you know that? They rejected him. Listen, here he is. Here he is, and he's not hidden. That's the thing. He's not hidden. My lands, he's the light of the world. He's shining. He's not hidden. He comes, and they reject him. They do not know him. They don't know him. And then here's this sad verse. Verse 11. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him, received him not, King James. He came into his own, he came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Receive, in the original language, translates to take hold of. To embrace. That's what it means. To receive, to embrace. Let me tell you a story. If you've been around me, you probably heard it. But let me tell you a story. When my three kids were born, the greatest moment, and I mean so great, is when they wipe that kid off and they do a couple things. They take a footprint. I don't know why they do that. Take a footprint, whatever the things they have to do. And Carrie had had C-sections with all three of them. And so they hand that baby to me. They hand that baby to its daddy. And I want to tell you, it is so natural that you embrace them. Oh, you embrace them. You love them. You embrace them. It's so natural. Listen, if I could go back to that day, I'd go back to that day. What an awesome thing. Here's this baby, and it's mine. I'm its daddy, and they hand it to me, and you embrace them. The Bible says he came into his own. His own world, he created it. His own nation, he, he instituted it, he established it. The descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he came into his own nation. My lands, he came to his own town, the town where he grew up and where he played as a kid, where they knew him in his own town. The Bible says even his own family, his flesh and blood, his brothers, and Jesus, love in skin, love incarnate, came into his own, and they did not embrace him. They did not take hold of him. The Bible says they received him not. The book of Isaiah, speaking of that Savior, our Savior, it says, and he was despised and forsaken of men. Here's the tough part. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. You know what that means? His heart hurt. Acquainted with grief. 
And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Let me tell you something, friend. It's one thing to be rejected. It's one thing to be held off. It's one thing to be pushed away and betrayed. But it's something else altogether for the people that should know you, the people that should love you, your own people, to receive you not. Jesus humbled himself, took on flesh, came to save people, and he was acquainted with grief. He knew grief in the the core of his heart because they received him. They embraced him not. He came into his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Now it starts with but. It is a turning point. He is rejected. He is acquainted with grief. He knows what rejection feels like. But as many as received him, now that, that, what that means is, All that did receive him, some did, and all that did receive him, all that would take hold of him, to them, the Bible says, he gave the right, that means the power, the authority, the ability, the power to become children of God. Listen, that is crazy. To those who would receive him, to those that would take hold of them, he gives them the right to become family with him, heirs with him, to be included in the family of God, to be embraced, to be related in fellowship and close communion with God. Listen, not to just know him, not to just know facts about him. In in the language here, we can understand and we can feel in our hearts we are loved and we are embraced and we're held as dear family When we receive him, wow, that's crazy. The family of God, we're in the family of God. So how do we receive him? The verse says, even to those who believe in his name. Now, even is not there in the Greek, in the original language. It has been added for emphasis. doesn't hurt, but it's added for emphasis. It says, to those who believe in his name. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. Now, listen to this. To believe in his name is to believe in the totality of, of who he is. You see, who you are is wrapped up in your name, even more so then. 
And so to believe in his name is to believe in all of who he is. That is why John is so adamant, you need to know all of who he is. That's why he's adamant, you need to have the truth of who he is. And so when we believe in all that he is, that he is God, that he is man, that he is Savior, that he is King, that he is Lord, that he is priest, that he is prophet, that he is lamb, that he is victor, that he is the Christ and the Messiah, when we believe that, taking hold of that in faith, we are saved. Wow. John is clear over and over through his gospel. It is in belief, in faith, we are saved. That's why he's adamant all the way through, over and over. So believe, 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 and be saved. Did you know not all people are children of God? That's hard. There's some that teach that. It seems a lot smoother if you do. You ruffle a lot less feathers if you do. Seems nice if you would, but it's not true. Here's what the Bible says, the Scriptures say. You can be sure we are all created by God. In his image, all of us. We can be sure we are all known by God. He knows us. Listen, we can be sure we're all loved by God. That's what the Bible says. But we are not all children of God. Only those who believe in the name of Jesus. You see why now Jesus is everything? You see why now Jesus is the focus? You see why we can't mess up Jesus? The only ones that come into a right relationship with the Father and are adopted in, grafted into the family of God, not because we earned it, but in grace, it only happens in the name, the fullness, the totality of trusting in Jesus. Verse 13 goes on and explains it further. Let's look at it. Who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We are saved, listen to me, in God's power, in God's grace, in the finished work of our Savior, Jesus. It is a spiritual event. It is a spiritual birth. We're going to find that in about a month in the third chapter. Think about how people try to be saved. That's what this verse is telling us about. It says, not by blood. Well, do you know my parents? Because I ought to be saved. You know my grandparents? Do you know how much money they gave to this church? Did you know who my great-granddaddy was? And we try to think we have some kind of lineage that would impress somebody. Do you know what my family is? Do you know where we live? Do you know how much we own? And folks try to say, you know what, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews of the Hebrews, and I ought to be saved because of my lineage, not of their blood. How many folks come along saying, well, I'll earn it? Not of your skin, not of your flesh, I'll, I'll earn it. 
know what, I'll do a bunch of good deeds and I'll outdo everybody else and I'll do a bunch of things and he can't help but save me because I'm so good and I've got this system and it's stacking up. That's what the world says, stack up enough good deeds. And so we come and in our flesh, we'll decide to get saved. Or we come along and we decide, you know what, it's about being better than other people. Maybe it's 50-50, I don't know what it is, but somehow we've got a religious system and the religious system says, well, you're not as good as I am and you're not as spiritual as I am and you haven't done the things that I've done and we got the religious system and we got the scale running and you know what, I'm good enough, I ought to be saved. Listen, it's none of that, not the will of man, not the work of our skin, not our lineage or our blood. It is a spiritual rebirth in the grace of God when we receive the word Jesus, when we believe in his name. We're going to end right there. I think we got 96 more nights. We're all right. Tonight, once again, I don't think it's going to change. Once again, the good news is better than we imagined. You know what? That's what I keep seeing. The good news is better than we imagined. And tonight, if we believe in the name of Jesus, if we receive him in faith, castaways, guilty in our sin, rebels in our action, sinners in our shame, guilty before a holy God, if we'll believe in Jesus, we are drawn near. We are adopted, we are brought in in the person of Jesus Christ. Here's what it says, we are held. The good news is better than I imagined. We are held. God's grace is shown to us in the light of Jesus. He is the light of grace. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come, and I'm in awe of such a compassionate, kind, and gracious Savior. I'm in awe of such a perfectly wise and profound, amazing salvation through my Savior. I'm thankful that every which way you tell me, if we'll repent and turn to you, we will be saved. It's not my lineage, not ours. Our lineage is doomed, ends in death. It's not in works of our hand, the work of our skin. We're doomed. We can't do enough. We've already sinned. It's not in a system that exalts us. It's in a knee that's bowed and exalts you. So, Lord, we come, and I praise you for my Savior, Jesus. I praise you for my salvation that you've given to me in great grace and great sacrifice and cost. Lord, I pray now as we conclude this service that we are in awe of you. We love you. We praise you. We walk in obedience. We worship you. Lord, I pray if there's one that's here or one that's listening somewhere, I pray that if they're here, they're burdened in their shame. They're heavy under their guilt. They're tired of the fight. They need a Savior. Today they would know there is a Savior, Jesus. Lord, stir in their hearts, stir in our hearts, move in our midst. Be known in this, be glorified in this. We trust it to you, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen.
We're going to close our service with a time of response, a time of invitation. I, I say this all the time. I truly believe it. The most important time of our, of our night tonight is a time to respond to the truth of God's Word. You see, there is a Savior, and He has come in great grace, and He's taken our sin, lived a perfect life. He's taken our sin, and He bore it to the cross of Calvary. He paid for it there. It's settled there. Nothing for you to add, nothing we can add. They take Him off that cross. The, the, the payment is paid. They put him in a grave. And three days later, he walks out of that grave, and he's alive, and he's victorious. He stands as the risen Savior, the King of kings, the hope of sinners. There's my Savior, Jesus. And the Bible says this. Here's the good news. If you will but call on him, trust in him, right now, forgiven. Right now, made new. Right now, saved, right with the holy God. That is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you've never trusted him, trust him tonight. If you've never trusted him, trust him tonight. His grace is offered to you in the person of Jesus Christ. We're going to stand and sing a hymn of invitation. If God has spoken to you, you step out and you meet me here. If you need more information, you step out and I'll meet you here. As we stand and sing, if God has spoken to you, you step out. You come on, I'll meet you here.